Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Small Business Edge Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Moran. My guest today is my good friend, Scott Sill. He is an executive in residence at the Wharton Business School uh, for the program, the Wharton MBA for Executives program. He's been there 20 years. Uh, According to Scott, he got his MBA there and he liked it so much he never left. Uh, He is also an entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, an angel investor, and uh, he is definitely somebody who has his finger on the pulse of everything that's happening in our world. So with that, I want to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, Scott Sill. Welcome. Hey, Brian. Great to be here today. Oh, likewise, Scott. I'm, I'm glad to have you on. And, uh, you know, you and I have talked for a long time off offline about all of the things that you're doing. And, you know, finally, that dim light bulb brightened up in my head. And I said, why aren't we having this conversation so that other people can hear it and, and learn from it? So that brought you on to our show today. That's awesome. I've been listening to the show and just love the content about really getting that mindset about building a business, not just being a worker bee at a big company, but finding that spark, finding your idea and really uh, pursuing it and making a difference. Well, and and you get to see that really firsthand. I mean, having done this for 20 years now at Wharton, you know, the program that you sit on is, and I'll, I'll probably butcher this, but it's designed for, you know, 30 to 35 year olds who are who've got management experience who go back and they they have to really make a hell of a commitment to a program and and something that's going to solidify their foundation and hopefully their success um so i guess my my very first question is why would why would somebody do this why would somebody who's probably making a good six figure salary you know you're 30 32 34 years old why would they if if they would give that up or why would they just say i'm going to change direction right now well i think it's an interesting story and a lot of our students like you said are 30 35 years old mid-career where they've gotten some great experience but view that there's something that they need to get to that next level and the next level may be jumping up the corporate ladder to a level or two up towards senior management or the c-level suite but a lot, a lot of them are through realizing that what we thought for our parents, you know, my dad graduated college, joined DuPont, and 35 years later said, well, thank you very much, and retired. Yeah. That's that's not there anymore. That, you know, the companies are looking, there's downsizing. You know, in the past month, we've had all the big tech companies blowing off 10, 15, 20% of their workforce. And these people are looking at it and saying, geez, you know, do I really want to trust that, you know, a big tech conglomerate has my back and I'd rather control my destiny, you know, control my earning potential, where I live, my work-life balance, and the pace at which I grow. So uh, a lot of our students do the MBA to stay in the corporate world, but a lot of them look at it, especially we get a lot of medical professionals and, uh, you know, people that have always created products and say, you know, I'm going to do it for myself. And interestingly enough, we get a lot of Navy SEALs coming wow. out who are pure entrepreneurs and like, what do I have to offer to the world? 
So we've got the academic program that really teaches you the fundamentals of quantitative analysis. And my role is to sort of be a coach, sort of like Y Combinator to say, how can you apply that and getting their minds wrapped around, I don't need a business around me. I've got the smarts to do it. And while it's scary being out there alone, there's sort of a leadership gravity that once you say, here's my idea, this is what I'm going to do, here's how I'm going to help, people will come to you. But that first step, stepping out in front of the crowd, uh, really can scare a lot of people off. But the reality is it's never been easier to start a business. So it's just knowing the framework and how to find the right idea to invest your time. So do you find that now, and how many students are we talking about? Probably, you well, know, in- we run, you know, 120 on the East Coast, 100 on the West Coast for each class. We have two classes going concurrently year round every other weekend nonstop. So it's it's a grind. And then uh, I've got 20 classes that I've worked with. And I'm sort of the super connector that everybody calls me and uh, mm-hmm. I'm saying, oh, you need to talk to Bob Jones or, you know, here, here's an idea. And uh my phone never stops ringing. I, I bet. I, I that I have no doubt, and I've taken personal advantage of that, as you know, helping you know you helping me make some connections for some people. Um, all right, so you're talking about 200, 230, you know, uh, probably very smart, uh, uh, you know, people in who are it, they come to you. They're in corporate America. Right. Or, or are these people, have they already started job, their their own companies or they're thinking about starting their own companies? Uh, they're working. You know, you need to be doing that. This isn't a, a, a full time job. This is part time while you're working. But right. a lot of them have that idea. And as, as they get out and talk to more people in different industries, that the spark hits. And right. Like, oh, you know, I can do that. And then the question I always have will be sitting down over lunch or a phone call and says, how do I know where to start? How do mm. I find my idea? Wow. And, and that that's that's where the, the crux happens. So, yeah, that's exciting. So that is, you know, that origin of a business is where really where you are. You are planting that seed with them saying, yeah, you can do this. M- most business owners that I that I have come into contact with, they weren't necessarily, you know, some were born to be entrepreneurs. But, but you know, maybe you have a passion for a product or a service, but there are so many other elements of running a business that they don't understand that it's it's almost it never comes into their minds like, oh, yeah, I could do this on my own. So you're really the catalyst for them to go out and start their own company. Right. And it drives them nuts. But the first step is really to open your eyes and go outside and wander around. Because too many of them think that sitting around uh, a laptop at two in the morning working on a PowerPoint or an Excel spreadsheet, that if I grind out enough of these numbers and all that, I'll figure it out. Right. And it always comes back to the Steve Jobs quote, Steve Jobs never talked to anyone. Well, Steve's like a six sigma outlier that just had, you know, a lucky taste. What you got to do is wander around and look for pain find problems and start to develop a framework to analyze it. Yeah. So, so what type, so you've been doing this for 20 years. One, I guess the question is, are you finding that 
you know, at the end of the the two-year program, are more people choosing entrepreneurship than going back into corporate America today than 20 years ago? Yes. I, I would tell you more and more people are seeing opportunities and that you can literally jump right into it because there's not the huge need to have a technology infrastructure. Most of that is built. Um, there's people out there and using Google and YouTube, you can reach out and find that audience is just waiting for your product today rather than having, you know, needing to raise $2 million just to get started in 15 people. But I would imagine that if you needed, if you did need to raise $2 million, that the Wharton Executive MBA Network is probably a pretty good place. It is. I tell you, I'm on the board of directors of a company that's raised $2 million from the alumni who, through conversations, they said, hey, we're looking at what you're doing. They predict the results of clinical drug trials through an AI system and, uh, you know, have amazing results about it. And their classmates said, we believe in it and, you know, reached into their wallets and, uh, you know, over the course of a couple months, you know, boom, their first round was done, never having to talk to a VC. Wow. That's incredible. So this is really, um, you know, I'm picturing the whole process is really, it takes away a lot of the initial failures that most business owners have. Right, because most business owners will start their business and they won't have a board of advisors. They won't have enough of the technology that they need to run their business. They won't have enough capital. Right. You start to think about, you know, in in the in the out in the world, in, in all areas, right, of the of the country where where businesses fail in the first year and they fail for a combination of reasons. Being part of this program it almost takes away a lot of the obstacles in your path. It doesn't say that it's going to make it any easier for you in terms of long-term success, but this allows you to um, stress test the idea as you are, you know, as you are going through the program. Absolutely. And I think it's a great framework to build on. And there's a couple key points that you touched on. I think it's worth really highlighting. First of all, let's look at the definition of a startup. And this comes from Steve Blank, who, if you're not familiar with Google Steve, he's the wrote the startup owner's manual, which delved into the lean startup with Eric Reese and all that and the godfather, mm -hmm. all this. So I stand on his shoulders. And one of his lines is a startup is a temporary entity designed to prove if there's a scalable, profitable business model. Mm -hmm. So again, a startup is, you can't have a seven year startup. You're gonna run a set of tests and figure out, does this work? Right. Can I make a product that people want and I can make money doing it? You know, uh, my grandfather had a great line. He said, oh yeah, I worked at this company and we, we lost money on every, every product, but we made up for it in volume. <laughs> You know, there's too many <laughs> tech businesses that have that mindset and say, yeah, you know, we're, we're moving like mad and all that doing it. Yeah. The second step is as you're starting a business, you don't sell to the masses. We want to sell to the early adopters. 
Mm-hmm. This is uh, using Jeffrey Moore's uh, book, Crossing the Chasm. The people that are the people that buy a first Apple product, that tech friend of yours, which is me, that buys everything version one mm-hmm. and it blows up and all that, but it has one key feature that makes the difference. And I'm so invested in that. I know exactly what it does. And I'll give you the feedback and the evaluation. And I'm happy to get a non-perfect product in exchange for having it first. They're the people you want to talk to and get the real insight. And if they buy into it and tell you, because they're sort of the canaries in the coal mine for what the later masses are going to do, that's what we do. And we do lots of conversations here. And it's what I want to do is find 85% either hell yeah or hell no. But if yeah. I don't have that level of clarity on a feature or a price plan or something, it's not enough to invest my time to develop on that. So I start pruning the tree that I only pursue paths that are viable for making a good business. So what what type of companies are you seeing? To, like What type of ideas are you seeing today in, in the uh, Wharton School? Um, well, the Wharton School is sort of progressed uh, across the world where I've also got my venture experience outside of it. I would tell you right now, I'm looking at vascular stents, drug discovery, cybersecurity, a lot of AI-driven problems. Uh, in the past month, I've had three companies focused on cement. Wow, Really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the eco stuff, uh, cement's one of the largest carbon dioxide producers in the world. And if you look at it with growth in India, China, you know, Southeast Asia and Africa, the pollution and the eco- uh, ecological costs of cement production are huge. And we've got to be looking at climate issues. I think climate's going to be huge. I'm seeing... Uh, battery issues, both for all these devices that need uh, batteries in them, as well as electrical vehicles, um, finance, real estate, you name it. Uh, every time the phone rings, I'm getting a new education. Oh, and I've got a company that's working in uh, cryptocurrencies, which is uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a life unto itself. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned cement, though. I remember reading an article about a woman entrepreneur, and I want to say it was maybe Africa or I think it was Africa. And she was able to make cement out of garbage that she had some kind of where it made these cement bricks. And it was such an incredible story. Um, and I probably read it uh, maybe five years ago, six years ago. And I always wondered what happened with that company because it was very much like a bootstrap business. Right. And, and I think that's a great line for new businesses that you don't have to look to the AI driven, you know, ultra high tech thing. There's a lot of traditional businesses that have been out there that no one's innovated because the mindsets, well, this is the way we've always done it. If the, Mm -hmm. if the, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And, you know, I, I forget who said the quote, but I'm looking for the next Amazon of ball bearings. (laughs) <laughs> non-sexy businesses that have cement, you know, um, you know, what's it take to clean out a, a cement truck uh, builds up cement on the inside. And it's a big problem about getting that cleaned out. Yeah. And there's money to be made on it. Um, 
There's money to be made. Uh, we've got all the new Teslas and all coming out. What happens when these things get tied in and we've got giant lithium-ion batteries that need to be disposed of or have very expensive costs for the raw materials, the, the lithium, the cobalt, the copper, and all in them? You know, it ain't sexy, but there's a lot to be made there. So the, the people who come into your class and and they come in for you know, they're in through corporate America and um, they start to see all of these people around them uh, developing ideas for their own businesses. Is that I'm picturing, all right, I need to get in on this. So do you see that? Do you see people come up with ideas that they didn't even know about before they started the, the course? Absolutely. I mean, it, first of all, it's getting out of just doing the job 40, 60 hours a week and, you know, just uh, essentially being a factory line worker saying, OK, I've got to create a new product within the corporation or totally change the industry, the business model to saying ah, I could start my own thing. And then combine that with a lot of the greatest growth happens in our program over lunch and Friday nights out across Philadelphia and San Francisco, where somebody who's at Merck doing drug discovery is talking to somebody who's at Goldman Sachs and somebody who's a former Navy SEAL and mm -hmm. somebody who's a, an ex-NFL player. And now you hear all these stories because one of the biggest problems we have as we go through our careers, we get locked in that we're in the one business. We talk with the people in our group and our world gets narrowed to, you know, what's coming down the pipeline of the company. Yeah. And we don't experience out. And I think that networking really opens your eyes to a ton of opportunities. And now we start building on that saying, oh, you're working on this. I know about technology product development here. Let's put it all together. So one of the lessons that you said the students need to learn is, is to just go out and, and roam around. Right. And, and, you know, don't be don't be stuck at your computer at 2 a.m. going over Excel spreadsheets. What are some of the other lessons that um, people now I'm going to expand beyond just the, the Wharton School, right? The MBA executive MBA program for executives. And, and, you know, let's talk to, because a lot of my listeners aren't able to go. I, and I imagine that's very, a very select um, a group of people. But what are the some of the most common lessons that you see, like startup businesses? What do they need to learn as soon as they possibly can? Well, first of all, it's seeing pain. I always say um, a good business plan has four elements that you can observe. What problem do you solve? Who's mm -hmm. got it? Who's got a number of peoples? And tell me about the segments of groups. What's the impact of the problem today? And who's willing to pay to make it go away? So, you know, you don't need to take a class in advanced corporate finance or marketing. It's just sort of looking at something and then analyzing it. Mm -hmm. uh, I drive my wife nuts when we go out to eat because she's like, you're not paying attention. And then she'll say, so is this place going to be around in six months? And I'm like, because I've already figured out what's their rent, you know, just an estimation, how many people they have out front, how many people in the kitchen. I'm looking at the menu and saying, what's the price point? Uh, are people ordering drinks? Are you ordering desserts? How long are you spending there? And how many other restaurants are like this in the area? And mm -hmm. There's no MBA necessary for that, but I can kind of run the numbers. And it's the same thing with any other business. Let's just look at the business model, the costs, 
who you're selling to and why they're going to come back. Yeah. I think you, you and I would be awful at dinner together because I do the exact same thing. I start to think, especially in when, you know, during the, the height of the pandemic, when I'd go into my favorite restaurant and, and the, the food prices kept going up and up and up. And I started saying to myself, well, he's probably got, you know, his variable costs, his rent, light and heat have all gone up or his, his the fish is, you know, you know, he's getting killed right now because he can't find it. It was on the menu last week. It's not on this week. I'm guessing he didn't get his delivery. You know, it, it is. So it's that kind of heightened awareness that you're talking about for people who are either starting a business or you're in business, this need for not only being aware, but asking questions. Exactly. And uh, Brian, I'll give you the magic question that unlocks everything. And uh, I forget where I read it, but I think I synthesized it a lot. But talk to a business owner, and here's the question you ask. You say, Brian, let's say I had a magic lamp with a genie in it, and it could give you one wish for your business. The only caveat it is it can't be for money. What problem would you have the genie fix? Wow. That's a great question. And that question will get you the craziness of it. They'll say, you know what? Scott, here, here's what I'm working on. And if we could resolve this one problem, boy, what would it do? Then the follow-up question is, oh, okay, if that's fixed, what's next? What's the impact of that? Mm. And that leads into when you get into sales, you say, great, you've just told me all about that. Now, if I could do that for you today, because we've asked the question knowing what our product is, wouldn't that be worth writing a check for this amount of dollars today to make that problem go away? Boy, you got to the close right there. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a great. That's a great question, and it, 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 as you said, it cuts to the chase, right? You ask, you never ask a question you don't know the answer to, though, right? But in, in some ways, it also cuts through all the crap about yeah. somebody posturing and all that, because all of a sudden, it's now we're aligned, and you're trying to help me rather than somebody that's, you know, as I always say, the used car salesman who's trying to just push product on you versus asking, hey, why are you in here looking at the car? I got a daughter. She's going to University of New Hampshire. I got to make sure it gets her back and forth, drives in snow, and she's got to take stuff from Philadelphia up there, so I need storage in it. Great. We've got a Subaru hatchback that I think would be perfect for. You're working together. Yeah. Yeah. So your point, and I, I hear it crystal clear, is ask the right questions and listen. Right. Capture all that information, then build your product. So we build it. The most important thing is you do the startup is don't don't build stuff people don't want. So we capture the data. We go for that 85% threshold of yes, where we've heard it. And then we focus on that and form it before we even think about leaving our business. So, all right. So we, we, we've kind of now, we have a couple of key takeaways, right? That we've given our listeners already. Um, and I love doing this for them because I want to give them tips and ideas and suggestions that they can implement almost immediately. What are, what are some of the biggest obstacles? Now, you, you, so you, I would say this that, you know, in, in your world, because you have access to all of these resources, right? And you have really smart people who are analyzing the you know, the lay of the land and they're asking all of the right questions. Um, 
that they are in a great position to stress test their business idea. For the person who is running the business right now in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Phoenix, Arizona, you know, Portland, Maine, right? Who who's listening to this podcast and saying, you know, my biggest problem is it's just me trying to run this company. Like it's just me that is trying to figure out the path that I need to lay in front of me. And and what what does 2023 hold in store? You know, what do you tell those people who are trying to hit their goal at the end of this year? Your four points about the, the business plan were excellent. But what would you tell people now who are in business today? Hey, this is what this is what you need to watch out for. These are the obstacles in the road that will be there for you in 2023. Is it financial, like cash flow? Is it a changing marketplace? You know, what what are some of the things that you see for business owners? Okay, so that's our next four podcast episodes together. But <laughs> here, here's what right. I would say. Yeah. First of all, listen to your customers. Don't say, here's my product, please buy it. Understand what they do. Like one of my great things is looking at convenience stores and seeing what they sell in the morning. And I've got this crazy idea in my head about it. And what not so much I'm selling breakfast sandwiches and sodas and all that. They've got a problem that they've got to eat in the car on the road to work. So what they're selling is something that either hot dogs, McDonald's selling milkshakes, uh, rolled up breakfast burritos or whatever that they can eat in their hands and they've got a meal to go that's not going to be slopping the car. So that's the problem they solve, not so much we need to have more food products. So listening to your customers and understanding their pain and the number of them. Once we do that, we don't go out and build the product first, build the sales pitch. So the first step requires zero cost. Build the sales pitch as if. If I hit hit the product, can I tell somebody a story that says, great, where can I buy it? Say, we're working on it. Let me get back to you as soon as I have it. Mm. Zero cost other than getting the story together. Now, like we talked about, we're going to build a prototype because we want to go to the early adopters. A prototype could be, you know, I'm making sandwiches at home and I'm selling them at work or, you know, someplace working with a food truck. Um, but get those early adopters and run a sample uh, program for six months or a year. Put up a sample website and let Google Analytics, Facebook, and all that drive customers based on, just like our sales pitch, a nice website using Squarespace that looks like it's a real business, but it takes you through a click-through and then hits the button, coming soon, give us an email, and we'll get back to you. Mm. Now we're finding validation before I even start building the product. Then I build a prototype with digital things. We can use uh, tools to make fake websites without any backend servers that say, if it worked, here's what a screen would look like. Test that. And now when I actually need to spend real hard cash to get programmers to develop it, the worst thing you can ever do is go to some uh, tech wizards and say, I need to build a website that does this versus here's the demo. We've tested build this exactly. And there's no concern, you know, confusion about that. Yeah. And yeah. and now, now we're off to the races. The other thing, like you said, with the um, with the business owners today is to really understand your cash needs. 
your cash needs as far as product development. What's it going to cost to get your customers marketing expense, where you're going to do it, what your customer acquisition costs and what they're worth on a short term basis on a single transaction. And if you hit the holy grail of recurring customers who come back monthly subscriptions or they buy, buy and buy. So getting that and then figuring a target campaign to sign up those people who not only buy, but tell others. Yeah. What I love about the way you just described all of that is it's very systematic. Like there's a formula to this success. And I think that's what uh, trips up most business owners is that they don't apply that. They don't step outside themselves and look at their business from their customer's point of view, right? And they say, well, you do things A, C, F, B, Z, instead of A, B, C, D, like in order. You know, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're all over the place and it makes it that much harder for me. If, if, you, if you made it more organized and efficient for me as a customer, you know, then I'd be buying from you a lot more. Right. And you're you're not investing until you understand the customer's needs and have a plan to build a product that that you are the genie in the magic lamp. Yeah. And that too many people go too big too soon. You know, they come to me and they say, OK, we're talking about where we're going to have our board of directors meeting after the first IPO. I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. And the great example I use is if you've ever watched a kid's swim meet. They mm-hmm. jump in the pool and they're splashing everywhere and all that. And you think that if you're flapping your arms widely and kicking like mad, you're doing something good. Yeah. But if you've ever watched the Olympics in the 5,000 and the 10,000 meter swimming, these people barely make a ripple in the water because yeah. they're very efficient and all their energy goes to exactly what they want to do. And they don't have that friction that sucks away energy and time from their stroke. For the business owner, it's applying your time and your capital to getting validation and building products that people want. So you get to a yes, no decision before you ever have to make back to my students biggest chart question. When should I leave my job? And the answer, it sounds trite, but it's until you absolutely can't spend any more time on your day job and the money's already there. Yeah. That it's not jumping off and saying, okay, I quit my job and telling your spouse, well, guess what? The paycheck's gone. The benefits are gone. I'm not sure when it's going to come back, but I'm going to work like hell trying to find an idea out. Yeah. Yeah. Now now your ass is on fire and you've given yourself like, okay, if it doesn't happen by such and such a date, you run out of money. Right. And, and you know, important thing, it's most businesses fail not because lack of money it's because of lack of customers. It's the people that haven't focused on getting the customers paying for product in the door. Pipeline, right? That pipeline activity yes. got to be Good. robust. Yeah, we, right. we definitely, I, I've shared that in many previous podcasts. You know, it's it's a proactive mindset versus a reactive one, right? A proactive says, I'm going to go out and I'm going to listen to my customers. I'm going to find out what their pain points are. I'm going to develop a product that I think they will need, you know, based on the feedback that I've gotten. You know, there's a great line, and I can't remember who said it, it was years ago, but um, nobody ever went into a hardware store looking for a quarter inch drill bit. What they want is a quarter inch hole, 
Right. Uh, it's Clayton Christensen, uh, Innovator's okay. Dilemma. There you go. All right. So, um, and 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 that's it. And and so that's that's about the problem solving, right? That you're talking about. Right. It, it's identifying. I love that. I'm going to write that on my whiteboard. What problem am I solving for my customers today? Right. And the follow up is after you get to the problem, tell me more. Tell mm-hmm. me more says I care. I want to learn more. I'm listening. And then you're going to find out that, that maybe there's something even deeper than that, that really gets to the core of the problem that's going to be the the rocket ship that uh, gets a business propelled and growing. And and the I guess one of the last points I'll make on that is it's also understanding the market, where the market is going, and the competition. In the absence of my product or service, what are people using right now to solve their problems? And how, yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's five sort of market scenarios, and I know we've got limited time, but it's new product in a new market new product in an existing market, uh, resegmenting an existing market, low cost provider, or geographic replication of an existing business model. So if it's a new product or a new market, this is selling the first fax machine. You've got to spend a ton of money telling people why they need this because they've never wrapped their hands around it. You know, Mm -hmm. how did they sell the first fax machine? We said we just put the the contract in a letter and send it over. Well, what if you shoved it in here? Okay, great. Well, where's it going to go? Oh, go over here. Do they have one? No. You do that. <laughs> Resegmentation is Starbucks. How did I? How did Starbucks convince people that the twenty five cup of cent cup of coffee wasn't what they wanted? That they wanted a four dollar mocha latte vente. Yeah. Yeah. Resegmentation is changing, you know, Whole Foods instead of the regular grocery store. Low cost is, as I always say, the danger, and I'm stealing Seth Godin's line, the danger of being the low cost provider is you may win. You're only as good as your dumbest competitor. Yeah. So um, you better have the ability like Walmart to just own supply chain and just suck the air out of the room for anyone else. And geographic is, you know, hey, this worked here. I'm going to go someplace else and put it in before they get here. I can see listeners to this podcast playing this over and over again. I'll highlight all of the points that you made or many of them. But there's such gold in here in terms of understanding your business and really solidifying your foundation so you can build a better platform for your company. So this is Phenomenal stuff. All right. Like I said, we're kind of at the home stretch, which is amazing. I do want you to come back on. So I'm going to hold you to that. If that was an offer uh, to come back on and kind of talk more with our listeners. Um, but if somebody wanted to do this, right, uh, this program, what what would the next steps be? Well, the Wharton program or just to be an entrepreneur? Uh, give me both. Okay, the Wharton program, uh, you know, we're just wrapping up for the spring uh, class starting this year. It's a year out. It's a huge commitment. You know, understand what you're looking for and what you're doing. Um, Wharton will shoot me in saying this, but a lot of this stuff, you don't need to spend two years doing it. You could you could uh, dub yourself an entrepreneur at the end of this podcast and start today mm-hmm. and uh, go out, get Steve Blank's book. Um, 
look up IDEO in the Stanford D School to talk about how to really capture customer insight. Uh, read Andy Kessler's book, Eat People, that really talks about how to analyze markets and look for uh, opportunities. And start with day one, make it a daily habit or a couple times a week, get a big legal pad and just write ideas where you see pain. Mm -hmm. Don't dig into it, but just start capturing them. And it's what we'll do at the end of the week or end of month, go down and just like your uh, sports picks, um, rate number one and number two and say which best. Mm -hmm. and look at ideas that are worth digging into more understand the framework and the ones that you're interested in start a sales pitch make the sales pitch just like you were selling it and talk to your friends uh you know my wife is sick of hearing my idea du jour but again she's a great sounding board she's like is that really something build yeah. sales pitches then yeah. go out and find those people you know i would tell you that having 25 to 50 conversations will make you smarter than spending months writing a business plan. And if you listen, you'll get insights. Mm -hmm. I would one caveat here is the people too close to you are lousy feedback mechanisms because yeah. as good friends, we want to tell you you're right. No, that sounds great. I need the person that sort of, I don't have that close personal relationship and it's, it wouldn't be awkward for me to say, Brian, that just doesn't make sense. What are you talking about here? That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. They're worth their weight in gold. So your best friend isn't necessarily your best feedback. Find people, put something out on a Facebook group, offer them, uh, you know, we'll get together and I'll give you a $10 Starbucks card. And I just want to pick your minds. I love that. And I actually have a program that I'm putting together where I'm going to do something like that. It's a, it's in beta right now. And before I release it, I'm going to do these things. I mean, I'm, I'm writing all of this down. I'm going to go back and listen to this podcast for, for selfish reasons, because every, like there's so much, so many things you said that I'm applying right now to my own business and saying, right. the, the, wow, I, I really need to strengthen this offer. Right. And, and the challenge here is an entrepreneur, you have to have that thick skin to say, you know what, I don't need I, I can take all the barbs and people telling you're wrong because you're going to get turned down nine times out of 10. Mm -hmm. But if you persevere and get to the truth, you're going to be right. Um, the problem is that our ego gets involved and yes. we get I always say happy years. We bad entrepreneurs want to be told they're right. And we hear that and somebody being polite or whatever and say, I'm on it. Mm. Good entrepreneurs want to find out if they're right. And they're willing to put themselves out, ask the questions and to be judged or let their ideas stand or fall on their own. There's a there's a great line that my mother actually had. I did a, a podcast with my mother on Mother's Day and she said, the only opinions I respect are from people I respect. And so in that sense, think about who you're talking to, right? So the feedback you're looking for, you know, is this your ideal target customer? Is this somebody who plays in your sandbox, but can see everything from a different viewpoint? You know, it, it's, it's, you know, I always say, if I don't give people enough information, they're not going to give me, they're not going to be able to give me um, enough feedback. So, 
um, make sure that you're asking the right people the right questions. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and start by understanding before you start selling. Mm. Because selling changes the mindset that they're like, they're, they're trying to get my money versus they care about me. They want to solve my problems. And once we learn and we're walking in sync, I can put my arm around you and say, Brian, I, I got the solution for you. Yes. Yes. I love that. All right. This was fantastic. This was a fantastic start to an ongoing conversation that you and I are going to have because I know I'm going to get feedback from my listeners who are going to say, we love Scott, bring him back on. Can he talk about this? <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it's going to, you know, he brought up this point. Can you make this point a whole podcast? So we'd love to have you back on. Uh, thank you so much for taking your time today and giving us our you know, our one day Wharton uh, MBA for executives uh, course. We appreciate it. I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Absolutely, Brian. I, I, I love the conversation and can't wait to see where this takes us. Yeah. Well, I, I, I have a sense of where it's going to take us, but I'll wait for the feedback from my listeners. And I promise them I'll have Scott back on in probably the next couple of months, if that's okay with you. You know, we'll, we'll let people digest this conversation and then we'll come back and we'll, we'll hit them with a new one. Absolutely. All right. Well, listen, thank you, Scott. Thank you to my listeners. You are the best. I appreciate you. I appreciate your feedback, your suggestions, your comments. So keep them coming and I'll see you next week on another edition of the Small Business Edge podcast. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.